Holy Hour of Power, Terry and Jesse show. My uh, my partner Terry is out doing some apostolic work. I am the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady. A lot to talk about today. Remember, it's October. As Catholics, this is the month of the Holy Rosary. This month is dedicated uh, to the Holy Rosary. It's the best known of all Catholic devotions. Pray your rosary every single day, not just because uh, you know there's a war right now, but because Our Lady of Fatima asked us in 1917, pray the rosary every day. The family that prays together stays together. Uh, unfortunately, in some parishes, the recitation of the rosary may not be as prevalent today as it used to be in the past. But uh, I, I, as a Catholic lay speaker and evangelist, I found that the rosary is a great, it's a, it's a great teaching tool uh, for Catholics. It's got a lot of catechesis. In fact, the rosary is the Bible of the poor. If you really want to know what it is, the the Holy Rosary is the Bible of the poor. This is how people, before being able to read, when Catholics were illiterate, this is how they understood the gospel, the the gospel story, the life of Jesus. This is how they came to know Jesus, was by meditating and contemplating and ruminating on the life of Jesus Christ. When the Rosary was given to us, we had three mysteries— Sorrowful, glorious, and joyful. Now, Pope John Paul II has given us luminous mysteries. So now there's 20 reflections into the life of Christ. New Testament reflections in the, on the fact that God walked here on planet Earth for 33 years in a place called the Holy Land, uh, what the world calls today Israel. Israel is a nation, and they're also a, per, a people. It's a person. Israel is a person, and it's also a nation. <clears throat> well, before I get into the gospel of today the Gospel of of St. Luke, let me just give you a few things that are on the news. We have Representative Jim Jordan, Republican from Ohio. He's moving forward with his effort to become Speaker of the House following losses on the first two ballots and uh, and talked that he was delaying the bid. Jordan stated that he plans to task with 20 Republicans who voted against him and express hope that Congress can move forward and begin to work for the American people. Also, Biden addresses the nation on Israel and Ukraine. In a primetime address to the nation from the Oval Office, President Joe Biden called on Congress to pass a massive aid aid package for Israel and Ukraine's wars against Hamas and Russia. Biden called for $14 billion in funding for Israel and an additional $80 billion in funding for Ukraine. By the way, this is how the Roman Empire collapsed fighting uh, wars outside their borders. This is how one of the five ways, the way the Roman Empire ended up collapsing. Did you know that Trump is leading Biden in five swing states? Yep. A new morning consult Bloomberg News found that the former president, Donald Trump, holds an advantage over President Biden in a number of swing states in a hypothetical head-to-head 2024 general election match. Trump leads with registered voters in Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Also, um, Iran Iran tied official retains security clearance. Ariana Tabatai, a senior official in the Defense Department's Special Operations Office, will keep her top security clearance following an internal review. Taba Tabai was recently outed as an alleged member of the Iran's Experts Initiative. That's an Iranian government propaganda network run by Tehran's foreign ministry and tasked with advancing 
the Islamic Republic's interest among policymakers in Washington, D.C. And yes, she works for the Biden administration. J.K. Rowling stands up to trans law. Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling has confirmed her opposition to a potential law in the U.K. that would punish people who refuse to use preferred transgender pronouns. J.K. Rowling says, I'll be happy. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy do two years in prison if the alternative is compelled speech and forced denial of the reality and importance of sex. Rowling stated in Tuesday, she said, bring on the court case. I say it'll be more fun than I'll ever have had on a red carpet. Good for her. And can't exactly consider her uh, a friend of Christianity, but good for her for standing up against the transgender mafia. Also, we need to pray and fast for peace. October 27th, Pope Francis on Wednesday called for Friday, next Friday, October 27th, to, to be a second day of prayer and fasting since the de- devastating Israel-Hamas war broke out earlier this month. He said, I urge believers to take just one side in this conflict, that of peace, Francis said, but not in words, in prayer, with total dedication. Also, Vatican receives persecuted Nicaraguan priests. The Holy See welcomed a dozen Nicaraguan priests of the Vatican Thursday after the Nicaraguan dictator released them from prison on the condition that they leave the country. The government stated that the priests had been sent to Rome after the intercession of high authorities of the Catholic Church in Nicaragua and the Vatican. Also, a laywoman receives... A loud applause this week at the Synod and Synodality for a speech that characterized some members' push for women's ordination as an attempt to clericalize the laity. The three-minute speech underscored the importance of motherhood, both biological and spiritual, for understanding what it means to be a woman from a Catholic perspective. Also, the Synod and the Universal Call to Holiness the lack of moral and spiritual formation in recent generations is catching up with us as we see the consequences every day at the workplace, writes Bob Hayes. The Synod members need to know that we must make lay moral and spiritual formation a priority. And also, uh, for us as Catholics, let's not forget uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, these are the days when Christian, the Christian, is expected to praise every creed except his own. Wow. Truer words have never been spoken. Well, on the rundown today, I'm going to have Dr. Jen, Jem Sullivan. She's an educator and an author of catechetical books and articles with a focus on the arts and evangelization and culture. And she wrote a book. It's a tan book. It's called Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know. So we're, I'm going to ask her questions about Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, Michelangelo's, uh, you know, Raphael's, uh, you know, Bernini's Ecstasy of St. Teresa, Caravaggio's The Calling of St. Matthew. Uh, the Catholic Church, one of the great contributions to Western society by the Catholic Church is art. And so as a Catholic, I'm proud to be a Catholic insofar as the contributions that we've given the world, the Western world, when it comes to art. But let's go to the gospel for today. It's Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And at that time, so many people were crowding together that they were trampling one another underfoot. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Beware of the leaven that is hypocrisy of the Pharisees. 
There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor secret that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you said in dark in the darkness will be heard in the light. He's talking about the particular judgment and the general judgment. Everything's going to be revealed. Everything. It says, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that can do no more. I shall show you whom to fear. Be afraid of the one who after killing has the power to cast into Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, be afraid of that one. Are not five sparrows sold for two small coins? Yet not one of them has escaped the notice of God. Even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Do not be afraid. You are, you are worth more than many sparrows. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of words jump out at me. Our Lord is talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The, uh, this is the besetting vice of the Pharisees. As leaven permeates dough, the Pharisees' teaching and example influences the crowds in a disastrous way, especially when they fail to practice what they preach. Uh, but our Lord says that their sins will be brought to light. When? At the last judgment. All the sinners, the reprobates, all their sins will be shown throughout the whole world. Also in verse 4 and 5 where our Lord says, Do not fear. We know since, since the physical death is only a moderate threat compared to spiritual death, Jesus calls us to have courage in the face of persecution and to be more concerned by temptations to sin. In other words, be afraid more of hell than of torture. Literally, the word hell is Gehenna. And uh, Jesus is saying here that the Father has the power to destroy both body and soul. Mankind on earth only has the power to destroy the body, not the soul. And the last verse that jumps out at me in today's gospel was verse 7, where our Lord tells us, that that uh, that the Father knows even the hairs of your head have all been counted, so do not be afraid. In other words, what Jesus is telling us, the Son of God, is that nothing is hidden to God. And just read Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6, so you can see the fact that God knows everything about you, all the, all the intricacies about you. And we also know that no suffering goes unnoticed by the Lord as it says in Luke chapter 21, verse 18, and Acts chapter 27, verse 34. Christian martyrs can therefore look beyond afflictions of this life to God's vindication and an eternal reward in the next life, as it promises us in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. This is the Terry and Jesse show. <clears throat> My partner Terry is out doing some apostolic work. I just want to remind you that Today, the saint of the day is St. Paul of the Cross. St. Paul of the Cross, pray for us. He was a, a priest and a founder. He was a passionist, a passionate preacher. And uh, he's, uh, he's, he also established the Passionist Order of Priests. St. Paul of the Cross, pray for us. We'll be right back. On with Dr. Jem up next. Terry and Jesse show, we're back. You know, one of the things that makes me proud to be Catholic, uh, there's a whole bunch of things, obviously, but without a doubt, 
one of the great contributions of the Catholic Church to the Western world, or to the world in general, is art. Is art. And, and uh, architecture, that's, that's one of the things that the Catholic Church is known for. And we want to talk, uh, in fact, I, I would argue that the greatest buildings in the world were, uh, were, were put there by the Catholic Church. Not only buildings, but also the art itself, pieces of art. And that's what we want to talk about today. And I want to apologize, my camera went off. You know technology, who knows what's happening here with our, my computer. It's just my camera turned off, but you can hear me, it's okay. We got Dr. Jem Sullivan. Let me uh, introduce uh, the good doctor. Uh, she's, an, she's an educator and an author of catechetical books and articles with a focus on the arts in evangelization and culture. And by the way, this was something that Pope Benedict XVI, he called us to. He called us to evangelize our culture through art and architecture. Dr. Sullivan serves on the faculty of the School of Theology and Religious Studies at the California University of America, Washington, D.C. And Dr. Sullivan writes for various Catholic publications as well. She hosted documentaries on the arts and catechesis and evangelization, and she has served as a museum docent. She is the author of books on the intersection of faith and arts, and uh, this book that just came out is called Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know. It's put out by 10 books. Uh, Dr. Jem, welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very grateful to be here. And it's uh, the, the Catholic University of America. Oh, where oh. I teach, so I'm, I'm happy to be here. Got it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, well, again, I think one of the things that makes Catholics proud is our Catholic art and our Catholic architecture. Even this, even our secular, uh, our secular uh, friends realize that what the church has contributed in terms of architecture that you know that comes from the Middle Ages, it's second to none. And so, uh, I want to ask you. What inspired you to write this book specifically? Obviously, you got a heart to evangelize. How did you write this book? Or or what was your thoughts in terms of evangelization when you wrote the book? Did you kind of hear the, the, the voice of Pope Benedict XVI that we have to evangelize through beauty? Absolutely, uh, Jesse. And thank you again for having me on the program. Uh, you know, beauty, the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us that beauty is the visible form of truth and goodness. Mm. Um, and there's never been a time in the church's 2,000-year-old history when mm. we do not have some expression of sacred art, because art has always been a, mo a means of evangelization and catechesis for centuries. Mm. Um, and popes in recent times, Pope John Paul, Pope St. John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI, and Pope Francis, all of them have been telling us that we have to use the arts as a means of evangelization and catechesis. Let me offer just an example from history. If we think back to the magnificent Gothic cathedrals of the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. um, or Chartres Cathedral, for example, we do not know the names of the artists and craftsmen who built Chartres Cathedral. They didn't sign their names on the walls, so to speak. But what we do know is that these cathedrals quickly became catechisms in stone and stained glass. Why? Mm. Because when the faithful gathered to pray there each week, they as they worshipped the Lord, they were surrounded by the beauty of faith. They saw the faith of the church that they were professing in the words of the creed. They saw that same faith now represented on the walls and the windows, in the sculpture, the stained glass, the mosaic, the painting, the architecture of the church. So... This was what the, the cathedral was not only a functional building, but it was a sacred space that was telling the story of salvation history. And the pilgrims who came to pray in these beautiful cathedrals and shrines 
would read the the walls of the cathedral as one would read the pages of the Bible. Mm. In the Middle Ages, we have to remember the people were largely illiterate. So what they could not read on the pages of the Bible, they were able to read on the walls of the cathedral of the church and heard in the sacred music. So uh, that that's why art the arts have a very powerful catechetical value. They speak to us first on a human level as our senses delight in the skill of the artist, the beauty of the work. And then on a spiritual level, we are led to to see, to gaze on, to contemplate some aspect of the mystery of God and the mystery of who we are in relationship to God. Dr. Jim, you said that the, the last three popes, Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis, have called us to return to evangelizing through the beauty of the arts, correct? All, the last three popes have said that, correct? That's correct. Yeah. At least in speeches or in, or in, uh, or in, or in actual writings. So, so let me ask you, Dr. Jim, uh, you probably, it, when you probably walk into a, a typical, I don't know, an ugly, you know, building that calls itself a Catholic church, knowing what you know, you're, you're probably, uh, it probably causes your head to spin. You're probably saying, what are we doing here in America? Let's go back to the way things were in the Middle Ages. Uh, having said that, what are some of the key takeaways from from the book that you wrote, Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know. By the way, it's put out by tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. If any of you want to show your family members the beauty of the Catholic Church and on art and architecture, go to tanbooks.com and order the book now, Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know, Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know. Dr. Jem, so what are some of the key takeaways from the book and what is your hope for this book Thank you again, Jesse, really, for having me on the program and for uh, letting me share about this book from Tan Books, um, Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know. Um, you know what? My hope is that the Catholic reader is going to be able to enter more deeply into the mysteries of the Catholic faith by reflecting on these 50 masterpieces of sacred art. Why? Because as I just mentioned, the art is meant to point us to, to lead us to, the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it, the lives of the saints, the life of our Blessed Mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, the biblical stories that invite us to take our place in the history of salvation. Uh, so what I hope the reader will take away from this book is to kind of go on a pilgrimage of beauty, right in your home, in the comfort of your home, uh, through this book, you can go on an incredible pilgrimage of beauty to experience the beauty of faith that leads to a deeper love of God, love of Jesus, and uh, the Holy Spirit's indwelling in us. Um, if I may just, you know, just a quote from Pope Benedict, since you mentioned that earlier. Um, Pope Benedict said this once. He said, the only effective apologia for Christianity comes down to two arguments, namely the saints the church has produced and the art which has grown in her womb. And so I think this is really important for us to remember that um, art is in fact the, uh, the the beautiful form of truth and goodness. If we're looking for truth, if we're looking for goodness, beauty in the form of the arts is uh, the way in which we encounter that. Dr. Jim, would it be a fair statement to say that some of the beautiful buildings in, in our country, for example, like the White House or the Supreme Court or, the, or a governor's mansion, would you say that that's that architecture is borrowed from from Catholic architecture? Would that be a fair statement? That would be a, faith, a, a, a good statement because you know so much of, of um, 
the church's history. I mean, if you think about it, uh, Jesse, for 2000 years, there has never been a time when we do not have some examples of sacred art in the Catholic tradition. From the early catacombs of Rome, where we have paintings and frescoes on the walls, to the magnificent Byzantine basilicas, to the great Gothic cathedrals, uh, to the Renaissance, this flowering of, of uh, sacred art and Christian art, uh, to the Baroque period all the way down to today. Uh, there's never been a time when the church did not serve as a principal patron of the arts. This was a very specific cultural role that the church had. I think we've kind of lost that today. Uh, but um, that that's that's what takes us back then to this idea that you know, the church has always seen the arts as a form of evangelization, uh, as a form of catechesis, as a form of deepening our faith through the beauty of the faith presented in those works of art. I'm going to throw a curveball at you, doctor. Uh, I've also seen that in, in Islam, they also have some beautiful architecture. Uh, is that exclusive to Islamic art or is some of that borrowed from Catholicism, and I'm talking about like the mosques, where they, to me, they 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 look, they look kind of like an Eastern Catholic church, where you have a dome and a cupola, or does Islam have its own tradition of art? Yeah, I mean, I think we could say, you know, across the board, that all of the world religions are kind of borrowing uh, from each other. So I would say that generally, that's true. Um, you know, you have, uh, first of all, the church, um, the way in which we have uh, the church set up is really borrowing from the Jewish tradition, from Judaism. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the oh, way yeah. in which the altar and the, the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies and, you know, all of that is borrowing from Judaism. And then all of the other religious traditions are going to borrow from Christianity. So I think one could say that, generally speaking, the world religions are looking to each other and, you know, uh, drawing inspiration for their own unique uh, expression of sacred architecture. That makes sense to me. That's the same. Yep. So what's the place of the arts in the church's proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ today? Is this part of the new evangelization? Is this part of uh, uh, maybe, you know, the great springtime of evangelization that Pope John Paul II envisioned? Would, would art be part, art and beauty, would that be part of it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, sacred art has a catechetical value. It has a role to play in evangelization because it is a distinct form of coming to know who God is. Um, you know, we, we think of the beauty of nature right now in Washington, D.C. It's, it's just beautiful. The colors are changing and uh, it's just this really early fall weather. Um, there's just so much of natural beauty all around us in, in, in nature. Um, that's one way we encounter beauty. Uh, but the other way we encounter beauty is through works of sacred art, works of Christian art, because they lead us from seeing something of the faith in a painting, a sculpture, a work of sacred architecture, or hearing through sacred music, from seeing to contemplation of some aspect of our faith, and then from contemplation to praise and worship of God. Uh, and so it's this kind of what sacred art takes us is on this journey from seeing or hearing something beautiful uh, to contemplation of the truths of the faith and from that to adoration, praise and worship. And so I think that we can say that beauty is a path to encounter God. Um, and the church has always 
uh, acknowledged that and, and seen that. I would recommend for anyone interested in this topic to read Pope John Pope St. John Paul II's Letter to Artists, uh, mm-hmm. in which he talks about how what a powerful means of evangelization and catechesis uh, the arts can be. Doctor, you know, it, it boggles my mind that when I look at some of the architecture back in that was done in the Middle Ages, these were done by people that were, you know, they didn't have computers. They weren't, didn't have engineering degrees. They were ordinary people. You know, some were masons, carpenters, painters, sculptors. And they erected some of the most beautiful and majestic buildings that have ever, that have ever graced planet Earth. You know, these Gothic cathedrals. And they did this without power tools, without pulleys, without scaffolds, without winches. And, uh, and, and they built, like what you said, they built these catechisms in stone. I love that word. We're talking with uh, with Dr. Jem Sullivan. Her new book is called Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know. Stick around. We'll be right back. We're going to a quick commercial break. We'll be back with The Good Doctor. We're back to Terry and Jesse show. We've got Dr. Jem Sullivan, and uh, I just want to commend her because she's provided a great service to the Catholic Church with her new book, Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know, tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. And I say this because, uh, Dr. Jem, it, it seems like with the influence of Puritanism, there was this, uh, which is obviously that's foreign to the Catholic faith. You know, back in the Middle Ages, you know, the Puritans and, and the Protestant reformers they began, you know, smashing altars, defacing Madonnas, breaking stained glass windows. And they thought it was they thought it was pious to do so because for them it was they call it, you know, iconoclastic. You know, they, they, it was it was foreign to them, this type of beauty. And we've also seen that with the Taliban, the Taliban a couple of years ago, they blew up some statues over. I think they were uh, Buddhist statues. Uh, again, the, the, you know, because Islam has kind of this this iconoclastic uh, view of, of, of statues and icons, but we as Catholics we celebrate we celebrate the great the great people and the great epochs of human history through beauty and art. So, having said that, how are truth, goodness, and beauty connected in the church's life? Yes, thank you. Thank you again, Jesse. That that's a really great question, you know, because we, we tend to think of truth, beauty, and goodness as they are the transcendentals. They are properties of being itself uh, that transcend all of the ways in which we experience the world, but they belong to God, really. A truth, goodness, and beauty uh, come from God. God is the divine artist. Um, and, and when the when we think of these truth, goodness, and beauty, we tend to think of them as separate, but in fact, they really go together. And what we're seeing today is that we, you know, when it comes to truth, there is no sense of what is true anymore. Uh, Everything is relative. It's your truth and my truth. And, you know, I decide what's true for me. Uh, So we have a real crisis of understanding truth. And then when you look at goodness, there's a sense in which people don't want to um, accept any kind of uh, guidance of the church or any kind of institution that's providing moral guidance or goodness. Uh, and so uh, there's a, a, a problem with goodness, too. But beauty, that's something that people can immediately respond to. It's compelling. It draws them to something. Anything that's beautiful causes us to stop what we're doing and attend to it. We listen. We hear. We look. 
Um, and that's what I think the church is saying through these magnificent treasures of sacred art that are in this book, um, that, that it's beauty that in fact conveys truth and goodness. And so if we're looking for truth, if we're looking for goodness, which is part of our human condition, God has written that on the human heart. Mm. Um, and so if we're looking for that, then beauty is the path by which we can arrive at truth and goodness. Dr. Jem, w- w- I, this is what I f- believe. I'm not sure if you would agree with me, but but I believe that today, when I look at modern architecture, uh, to me, it doesn't, it has, it, it can't even compare in the complexity, intricacy, and beauty of some of the medieval architecture that I've seen. You know, like when I look like, you know, not to, not to that I'm picking on it. Like the, I was from Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Cathedral. To me, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make me sigh a, a, a breath of 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 uh, magnanimity like wow but when i see one of those beautiful you know uh robust uh, medieval cathedrals and you walk inside even on the outside you just it takes your breath away so i mean do you believe that modern art uh is it uh does it match the complexity and beauty of of uh, medieval art, in your opinion? You know, I, I think I think there's a point that you're making here, and and there's so much of modern examples of art that's attempting to convey something of the faith or something of truth, goodness. Um, and we would say, you know, if we wanted to compare, sure, we can say that yes, th- those uh, works of art are are definitely more magnificent. They're more. Uh, majestic, they kind of inspire awe and wonder, uh, which is what really beautiful art does. Um, and then we don't get that same sort of experience with something that's more modern. But um, so, yeah, sure, we can say that that's true. Um, I think we'd have to just kind of experience it in, in light of uh, what what those magnificent basilicas and cathedrals and uh, churches were attempting to do, which was to really lead us to give us kind of a window into eternity. That's what ah, beautiful art does. You I know, love it really that. opens up something that we do not have in our human experience that's breaking in. And what's breaking into our human experience is God. God who is the divine artist. Um, you know, just just as I mentioned just now, we have this beautiful fall weather in Washington, DC, and the colors of the leaves are changing. I mean, no one is making that happen. No human person can make that happen. It's simply God, the divine artist, who's at work in the world, bringing beauty into everything that we uh, experience in terms of our experience of the world. So I think that that's what we'd have to just sort of look at and say, how does this match this experience that I have of something that is truly beautiful? That was a very powerful statement you just made right there. It took my breath away for a second. You said that medieval architecture was meant to give us a window into eternity. Wow. I mean, in one sentence, that's about as as, as well put as I've ever heard it. Uh, Dr. Jen, how might sacred art contribute to growth and faith in the spiritual life? So, I mean, just boots on the ground, blue-collar Catholicism. How does that affect the lay Catholic, uh, you know, the rank and file hoi polloi Catholic day to day in terms of their faith and spiritual life. Sure. You know, again, I, I would quote the catechism of the Catholic church that says that sacred art evokes and glorifies the transcendent mystery of God, the surpassing invisible beauty of truth and love made visible 
in Jesus Christ. And then the catechism says, genuine sacred art draws us in adoration and in prayer to greater love of God and to love of one another. So I think that's really where we see the uh, the way in which the arts become part of our spiritual life is that we can look at a beautiful painting or go into our church and see a beautiful stained glass window, beautiful crucifix. Um, and we're drawn to something to contemplate something of the mysteries of faith. So it's not there just to kind of make sort of give an aesthetic moment or uh, create something beautiful in the church. That's yes, it does that. But the more important thing is that it's leading us to contemplate something of the great mysteries of our Catholic faith, right? Through the experience of what is beautiful. And that's how art becomes a part of your own uh, spiritual life, is that it draws you ultimately to adoration, to praise, to love of God and love of one's neighbor. I've heard it said that, uh, you know, art, Catholic art and architecture is the Bible of the poor. Mm -hmm. It's it, That's the way... That's the way, I mean, most people were illiterate up until the 20th century, 2021st century. And this is the way the Catholics uh, in times past, this is how they, they started learning about the, the biblical characters and salvation history. Is that true? That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And that's what I was saying, that these cathedrals were catechisms in stone and stained glass, right? Mm. You know, Pope Benedict says it rather beautifully. He says, you know, uh, images are also a preaching of the gospel. And artists have offered us the principal teachings of the faith uh, by presenting them in splendor of color, the perfection of beauty. Mm -hmm. And he says then, today, more than ever, in a culture of images, and you're right, people for the most part are illiterate um, in terms of, you know, the biblical illiteracy. They don't know the scriptures. They don't know the faith. But in a culture of images that surrounds us, you know, on our phones, on our screens, on our computers, um, a sacred image, he says, can be a powerful, extremely effective and dynamic way of communicating the gospel message. And then Pope Benedict says this, sacred images proclaim the same gospel message that the sacred scriptures transmit through words, and they help to reawaken and nourish the faith of believers. Talking to Dr. Jem Sullivan uh, from Catholic University of America, Washington, D.C., She's uh, she's written a new new book. It's called Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know. You can pick up the book by 10books.com, 10books.com. And I'll tell you why this is important because there's this is an area with that most people, most Americans don't realize the Catholic Church's great contribution to art and architecture. And that evangelization tools in conversation were a lot of people think that, hey, everybody in the Middle Ages, they were dark and ignorant and, you know, not so. No, some of the most beautiful art and architecture came from those people that we call the Dark Ages. Uh, doctor, let me ask you a question. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Mm -hmm. There, There is a, a one beautiful piece of art that was given to us by f Catholic friends, I think. Uh, the Statue of Lady Liberty is was that given to us by friends? Uh, I mean, how did we get that over here in, in the U.S.? I, I I've read that it was it was a gift from France. And what's it supposed to mean? And I don't know. If you've, I don't know if you've studied that. Yeah, you know, I'm not familiar with the history specifically, the art history of that piece. Of course, it's a very iconic uh, piece of sculpture uh, that welcomes, you know, people to the United States. It's 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 really the the whole idea of the celebration of freedom that this nation, this country stands for um, as as they came from, especially from 
from the countries of Europe, the immigrants would, that was the first thing they would see. Um, so, you know, it's that sense in which it really captures in one image, uh, if you will, uh, the what this United States of America stands for, the, the idea of freedom and liberty. And, and that does that through, uh, you know, this magnificent uh, sculpture um, I, I'm not quite sure about the actual history of how it got here, but mm-hmm. uh, I know that it was influenced by uh, some of the the traditions in Europe of the beautiful, magnificent, monumental sculpture. Doctor, the Catholic Church has some incredible paintings. Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, Michelangelo's Pieta, the Sistine Chapel ceiling, Rublev's The Trinity, uh, Jean van Eclec's Ghent altarpiece, Fra Angelico's Annunciation, Raphael's the Disputation of the Most Holy Sacrament, Bernini's Ecstasy of St. Therese, Caravaggio's The Calling of St. Matthew, El Greco's Pentecost. Of all these works of art, which is the one that most speaks to your heart as a Catholic, that most draws you clo- draws you closer to the Lord? Yeah, you know, that's a really tough one to, a- to answer, honestly, because there's so many. There's just so many beautiful paintings. I would have to say my favorite one is, of course, um, Fra Angelico's Annunciation, right? It's so magnificent. You see the beautiful image of the Archangel Gabriel announcing to Mary. Mary is the one, she's given the title in the early church as Tota Pulchra S, means she is the most beautiful of Do- all the Dr. creatures Jim, we're co- God created. We're coming to a hard break. Thanks for coming on the Terry and Jesse show. Get the book, Sacred Art, Every Catholic Should Know 10 Books. Dr. Jim, thank you very much. God bless you. And we'll see you real soon. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Terry and Jesse Show. Uh, do I have Dr. Jem? Is she still on with me? Mr. Engineer? Yes. Yes. Uh, Dr. Jem. Hey, that wasn't fair. I asked you a question, then we got uh, right up against... Uh, we came That's to a hard okay. break, so let, yeah. So let me ask you, so you can give us a, a good, thoughtful response before we uh, move on to the next segment. So, of all the pieces of art out there, uh, I was I asked you which one really ministers to you, and you started talking about Fra Angelico's Annunciation, and then we went to a hard break. Go ahead and finish that thought, Doctor, because I want the audience to hear this. And so do I. Oh, sure. No, thank you so much. You know, we have um, one of my favorite pieces that's in the book that uh, this book, uh, Sacred Art, Every Catholic Should Know, um, is the Frangelico's Annunciation. Uh, And here we see Mary. She is one of the titles that the early church fathers give her is Tota Pulchra S, which in Latin means Mary is the most beautiful creature that God created. Because why? Because she was the one to bear God's son into the world. So um, she is the most beautiful. And here we see her at the Annunciation, the Archangel Gabriel announcing to her that she will be the mother of God. And Mary receives that message and then gives her fiat, her yes to God's word that begins the uh, incarnation of God in Jesus, her son. So it's just a beautiful, stunning painting. And I would, uh, again, encourage your readers to to look at the painting in the book, um, but also just to reflect on it in, in, through the meditations that are part of the book itself. Doctor, which is probably the most, uh, last question, which is the most popular piece of art that, that uh, non-Catholics probably are familiar with when you talk about all these pieces of art that you have in your book? Which is the one that 
is most the topic of conversation with, say, Protestants or non-Catholics or tourists over to Europe? Uh, so, which, you know, you... I would say I would say the Last Supper, you know, everybody kind of knows Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. Um, you see it in kitchens, you know, you see it um, pretty much everywhere. Um, it's it's so well known. And it's, it's very interesting because it is really about the moment when Jesus is instituting the Eucharist, the source and summit of the Christian life. Right. So that's it's really kind of a powerful image where Jesus is. Um, you know, at the table, his last supper with his disciples, the night on the eve of his passion, his death on the cross, uh, by which we are saved. Uh, and that's the moment that the world kind of knows. It's so familiar through this magnificent work of art. Dr. Jim, are you were you born and raised Catholic? Are you a cradle Catholic or are you a convert? Yeah. No, I'm I'm a, I'm a born and raised Catholic. OK, all right. Dr. Jem, thank you for coming on the Terry and Jesse show. This has been wonderful. You're just a wealth of information when it comes to art and architecture. Uh, I encourage every listener to get the book, Sacred Art Every Catholic Should Know, tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. This is a good way to evangelize cradle Catholics, non-Catholics. This is something that bridges the gap in conversation because everybody's drawn to beauty, goodness, and truth. And the good doctor has shown us some of the beautiful sacred art of the Catholic Church that most people don't know. It comes from Catholic sources. They just appreciate it. But it's time for us to start uh, uh, start proclaiming this from the rooftops. Thank you very much, Dr. Jem. Thanks for coming on with us, and we'll have you on again. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. We've been listening to Dr. Jem Sullivan. from. Um, she's a an educator at Catholic University of America. She, uh, she's on the faculty of the School of Theology and Religious Studies, Catholic University of America, Washington, D.C. She just wrote a book, Sacred Art, Every Catholic Should Know, put out by 10books.com, 10books.com. So what are my comments about art and architecture? Well, if the Middle Ages were dark and ignorant, like a lot of people say, how come ordinary people like masons and carpenters and painters, sculptors, glazers, erected the most beautiful and majestic buildings to grace the earth, i.e. the Gothic cathedrals. And they did this how? Without power tools, without pulleys, without wenches, scaffolds. They did it with their bare hands. They built up lacework in stone and glass, flooding vast interior spaces with color and light, we have nothing today in modern architecture to match their significance, complexity, and beauty of the architecture from the Middle Ages. Catholicism has always surrounded itself with beauty, <clears throat> regarding it as, as, the, as the splendor of truth. That's what we call beauty, the splendor of truth. In other words, or in the words of the German priest and professor and theologian Karl Adam, he says, art is native to Catholicism since reverence for the body and for nature is native to it. The Puritan influence is foreign to Catholicism. Just the idea that at the Reformation, the smashing of altars, defacing Madonnas, and breaking stained glass windows as a religious, a religious act is foreign and indeed heretical to Catholics. And much today happens today with the Temple of Satan as well against Catholic art. But the Catholic Church leaves such Talibanism to the Protestants and, and iconoclastic heresies. The Catholic Church instead offers a celebration of beauty and, and, and of beauty and beauty in our world of pierced or, or, or the beauty in our world 
so-called beauty, they call, you know, pierced faces, body tattoos, gangster rap, concrete tower blocks, cold cities, inner cities. Beautiful art is something that we could use much more and more of. In fact, one piece of art that most Americans are familiar with was the Statue of Liberty, and that was given to the United States as a gift by culturally Catholic friends. I want to talk now about um, Polish Jesuit questions Pope Francis' ambiguity on LGBTQ issues. Pope Francis has said repeatedly that the Catholic Church cannot condone same-sex unions or gender transgender uh, lifestyles, but a Polish Jesuit argues that his contradictory actions often sow confusion about the Church's teaching on LGBTQ issues. Father Darius Kowalski, a Jesuit, wrote in a recent essay that the inconsistencies between the Pope's words and actions only led to ambiguity and confusion amongst the faithful, calling it a matter of concern. Those who occupy the leftist and liberal positions believe that despite a certain openness to LGBT plus people, the Pope stops halfway and does not respond adequately, adequately to the challenges of our time. Father Darius wrote, Others applaud the Pope's criticism of gender ideology, but believe that on the other hand, Pope Francis himself undermines or even invalidates it through, the, through other statements he makes and gestures. Pope Francis has rejected ideological colonization referring to the media-driven culture, driving gender ideology, he perpetuates confusion about church teaching with his actions regarding LGBTQ Catholic ministries, according to Father Darius Kowalczyk. Father Darius Kowalczyk's his essay, written before the beginning of the Synod on Synodality, was published this week by the Polish Bishops' Conference. On the same day, Pope Francis met with Sister Janine Gromek, whose views on LGBTQ issues have been condemned by the church multiple times by the last two popes. Sister Gramic has worked in LGBTQ outreach since 1977 when she founded an organization called New Ways Ministry. The organization works to affirm LGBTQ Catholics in their lifestyles and in their sin, directly contradicting church teaching on human sexuality. In 1999, the CDF released a document publicly condemning Sister Gramic's work and prohibiting her from doing any further ministry involving LGBTQ Catholics. The CDF also restricted her ability to hold any office in a religious order and the school sisters of Notre Dame. In 2000, Sister Gramic's order also instructed her to end her ministry. But in disobedience, she continued her work with new ways, defying both the CDF and defying her religious order as well. Sister Gramic left the school's school sisters of Notre Dame in 2001 and joined the progressive sisters of Loretto in Colorado, where she continues condoning the LGBTQ lifestyle for Catholics. The USCCB has condemned New Ways in 2010, saying that this organization's claim to Catholicity confuses the faithful about true Catholic doctrine. The, the USCCB, the, the bishops in the U.S. said, quote, New Way's ministry has no approval or recognition from the Catholic Church, and they cannot speak on behalf of the Catholic faithful in the U.S., close quote. In 2021, Sister Gramic wrote to Pope Francis to inform him of her ministry to LGBTQ Catholics, and they began a correspondence. The Pope later wrote a letter congratulating Gramic on 50 years of LGBTQ ministry. This was not the first time that Pope Francis sent confusing messages about Catholics living disordered lifestyles. Despite his assertion that Catholics cannot condone homosexuality, 
The Pope also corresponded with Father James Martin, founder of the LGBTQ Ministry Outreach. He met with Father Martin at the Vatican in November 2022. And uh, in May, Pope Francis sent Father Martin a note thanking him for all the good he was doing during an outreach conference in New York City. Mm. Yep, Father Morton's ministry is uh, breeding much confusion in the Catholic Church. Father James Morton's ministry is incompatible with the Catholic Church. It's incompatible with Catholic doctrine on human sexuality. And uh, and Father Morton, he's, uh, he's leading faithful Catholics astray. And, and, and also, uh, a lot of faithful Catholics are wondering where Pope Francis really stands on this issue of LGBTQ. Because he says one thing to one audience, then he says something else in person or in letter form to those who promote this lifestyle. Well, all I can say is, Lord, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. Psalm 69, verse 2. That's a wrap, my family. And we are family, by the way. And, 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 and I plan on seeing every single one of you. We've got a date. When is that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll see you all at the resurrection of Jesus Christ at the general judgment. And I hope and pray that everybody that listens to my voice will live and die in a state of grace so that we will be one of those saints that will occupy the thrones of the fallen angels that are unoccupied right now in heaven. Those seats are for us, the saints that make it to heaven. Remember, we're like a lighthouse amid this gathering storm. Let's pray America great again. We fight for altar and throne to one day be inseparably, inseparably united under Christ the King forever. Faith is what gets you started. Hope is what keeps you going. Love is what brings you to the end. Remember, most men work for degrees after their names. We work for one before our names. That's ST. That's the only degree we want. ST before our name. It's a much more difficult degree to attain. It takes a lifetime. You must live and die in a state of grace. And you don't get a diploma until you're dead. All right, church. All right, family. God bless you. See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. Keep the faith.